2: The Graham Norton Radio Show. How exciting is this? With Waitrose. Over on Virgin Radio. Up and Adam, come on, things to do. Don't cheer, you'll just embarrass yourselves. We're not bored of it yet, so it's lovely. There's no stopping them, no stopping them. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Oh, there's nothing nicer, is there? Nothing nicer. With Waitrose, food to feel good about. I mean, what's not to like? Saturday and Sunday from 9.30. Over on Virgin Radio.
0: All right, welcome to the show. Vatos is here. Aloha. And Sinead's here. Hello. And Steve Daniel will be here to tell us about Madonna. And he's a veteran of Madonna gigs. He's interviewed Madonna. He's presented Madonna specials. He's talked to me about my various Madonna experiences and encounters, uh, which have been on his various programs. Uh, but he is the GOAT. Obviously, Sinead will be here to back him up. You'll be BVs on that review, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You'll be absolutely, backing both
1: back, of Absolutely,
0: absolutely. All right, what else is going down? We have Shane Parrish on the show today. Shane Parrish has written a book. It's called Clear Thinking. Turning ordinary moments into extraordinary results. He's the founder of Farnham Street, which is a decision-making um, sort of format think-tank Machine. He is a decision guru, and he has come up with various mental maps and um, mind maps, mind mapping of the mindset you need to be in, the situation you need to be in, the environment you need to be in, the people you need to be with, um, the, the fitness with which you need to live your life to make better decisions. He also does talk about... Rules over decisions. Vasa just reminded me of this um, moments ago. Daniel Kahneman, who has won two Nobel Prizes for psychology, he originated the idea of rules over decisions. He says, we're really, really good at following rules. You know, from the moment we're, we're taught rules, as three and four-year-olds, we're good We're good at following rules. So if you implement rules into your life that can then get rid of a load of decisions, which you can do, if you give yourself a week to do that, um, then your life will be more decision light. Also, he says, you know, sometimes people say, you don't want to make a decision too quickly. He says, absolutely, bs you know if the consequences of a decision are low and the decision is wholly reversible it's in your interest to make a decision really quickly and just get on with your life oftentimes we procrastinate over smaller decisions to give ourselves our ego a bit of a flex saying look we're gonna i'm gonna take my time over this one yeah because you know it's not important there's no consequence to it Get all those quick decisions made if they're not part of a brand new roles, real structure anyway, So, you, in which case you don't even need to make them. And then focus on the big stuff. And how do you focus on the big stuff? He'll be here to tell us about it. Shane Parrish on the show today. He is awesome. Michael Kane confirms his retirement at the age of 90. Michael Caine has confirmed his retirement at the age of 90, drawing to a close a glittering career in which he won two Oscars. After his comments last month that he was sort of retired, Caine made it official saying, I keep saying I'm going to retire. Well, I am now. I mean, you know, he's got the cash. Do you remember his auction? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots. Uh, there's lots of um, deceased estate celebrity sales uh, when their family is selling off their words, which is fair enough. Um, but I think far better to sell them while you're still alive. Mm. They might not be worth as much, but you'll be there to spend the cash. <laughs> Nigel Mansell's is ongoing, isn't it? His online auction is ongoing. Rare Pokemon cards almost put in skit value at £20,000. More auction news. Seattle Woman amasses collection of 5,631 rubber ducks They'll be up for sale one day. No doubt about that. Top £32,000 a year private school appoints an AI chatbot as its new head teacher in UK first. Yeah, that'll be just uh, for a bit of fun, though, won't it? I would imagine. Weightlessness in space was a superpower, says so astronaut Chris Hadfield. He's doing the rounds at the moment. He's got a new book out. World's most visible football kit created and could help players with poor eyesight. Portchester couple get married after 53 years together. Abandoned bathtub poses traffic hazard on British Highway and last remaining 1969 Hillman GT on display in Gaydon, which is the old um, Aston Martin works, isn't it, I think? All right, the team have taken away any kind of decision tree to do with going to see Madonna. They are booking tickets to go and see it tomorrow and they'll figure out the details, um, especially the ugly, more painful ones. I had to pay for the tickets uh, later on because Steve Danier went to see Madonna on Saturday and Sunday. He's seen 100% of the brand new Madonna tour. Sinead went to see Madonna last night with Steve.
1: Yeah, who better? Who else better to go with? Yeah, just quite frankly. <laughs> and
0: before the weekend, Steve had seen Madonna 19 times in concert. He's now seen her 21 times in concert. Steve. Over to you.
2: Well, Chris, it is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. You know, I've been going to see it. My first show was when I was 14 years old and this is every fan's dream. I've been living, breathing, thinking about a show like this since 1990 and she's, she's not only delivered, she's over-delivered. You look like you're about to cry. Yeah, Well, there, I will in a moment, I think. I mean, there's some really emotional moments in this show and Sinead and I were both completely in tears. I mean, one of the moments is that doing holiday which is a beautiful joyous song isn't it and some of the dancers start to kind of collapse on stage and then suddenly you've got um all the big pictures of people who've passed away from AIDS over the years and the picture of Freddie Mercury appears and then suddenly the pictures get smaller and the amount of people more plentiful and she's floating mid-air around these photographs with live to tell and I'm trying to keep it together. The thing is, she's kind of soundtracked our lives so much over the, you know, Whether you like her or not, she's been there. She's been a constant presence. And to see her celebrating that with us is an amazing thing.
0: Because she has a massive gay following. Yes, she does. Huge and that's the other following. thing.
2: So, as a, you know, as a gay person growing up, mm. times have been difficult. And Back in the 90s, there was no kind of visibility. We had no role models. And she was that person, you know. And you've got a lot to thank her for for some of the darkest moments that I've been through. She's been there. So yeah. Anyway, I'm back in the room.
0: No, <laughs> don't stay where you are. We're gonna we'll come to you. You don't need to come to us. You have a clip for us to play. I here. do.
2: So this was so Saturday night, this is amazing. Not for her. It the show broke. So she's on stage for ten minutes right. and they had to reset the show. Right. So she's kind of marooned on stage, yes. not knowing what to do. So she said Guys, I'm just going to talk to you for 15 minutes. I've never seen Madonna like this. I recorded it. May I play a bit? This is what happened. Here we go. It is so good
3: to be back, London. And I'm pretty damn surprised I made it this far.
0: And I mean that on so
1: many levels. Do Do
2: you get my gist? So many levels. How did I make it this far? Because of you. So she spoke to the crowd for literally kind of 15 minutes. Yeah. The sound still wasn't sorted. Uh-huh. So Bob the Drag Queen, who's kind of the host of the show, the, the ringmaster. How he much won... do you
0: want to be Bob? Oh, gosh.
2: <laughs> now, he won He won RuPaul uh, season eight. Right. And it's incredible. So the show started, okay. I don't want to spoil it, but it starts with...
0: You can't spoil it. We, with
2: bob just coming tell us out bob coming another. out and just yeah. saying you know and i sent you the video yesterday you the did? start of the it show and i was so never, loud. honestly and you, i've seen it a thousand times and i get goosebumps every time yeah. um and you were there and i was there yeah. and i've rewatched it but so bob and madonna are chatting um madonna says at one stage she said we're talking so much this is like the graham norton show <laughs> and graham norton was in front of her no <laughs> so it was just uh, oh what a laugh
0: <laughs> He could have walked home as well around the corner, <laughs> doesn't he? So, so, nothing not to like. Um, some of the reviews are a bit sniffy because, oh, she wasn't doing this, she wasn't doing that. The point is, was it? were you a 10 in the room? Were you having the best time you could possibly have had? In which case, it's five stars out of five. Sinead, over to you.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, we do have to thank Einar and Doug, don't we, for our tickets last night. Yes. They got, and we were with them, and they had the best time as well. It was, um, I got really teary just hearing you talk about that because that, that moment in the show is is phenomenal. For me, I... Um, People always say to me, uh, well, they ask everyone, don't you? Like, who's your favourite artist? Or, like, what's the best gig you've ever been to? And I've never, ever had an answer. And last night I was like, this is it. This is absolutely it. And she is the one. Isn't
0: that wonderful to have that in your arsenal now in your toolkit? Yeah. You have an answer for that question.
1: Yeah. And also, I knew every word (laughs) to every song. I was like, where's this coming from?
2: She wasn't always in tune, Chris uh but uh oh, okay. Well,
1: okay well if we're gonna get into this i tell you what on the way there we got the clipper which guys if you ever come to london or if you're in london get the clipper the to the o2 boats. so much fun yeah, you right you need to
0: say it's a river boat. oh sorry
1: it's a boat yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a massive river taxi and it's so fast <laughs> so and there's good. a bar on it as well there yes, is, is
1: yeah. yeah a little pinot grige on there <laughs> um uh, but he was telling me everything that happened and like, I all the spoilers before it happened. But did it matter? Yes,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> well done, mate. The show is
2: so detailed, yeah. Chris, so uh-huh. you need to see it two or three times. Yeah. So people say, well, You've oh, seen it twice, so it twice. where are we going with this conversation? I want to go again.
1: Uh, I think we're going to go again, aren't we? We've got a, we're, uh, well, what's our see. budget? The team are going
2: tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we are going tomorrow. Yeah, going Why tomorrow. don't we go Maybe with them tomorrow? Go. Jump
1: on yeah. tomorrow. I, should we go tomorrow? I, 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 I need to see it again. I think I was in, I was in such a, like...
2: I can't yes.
1: believe there are tickets still available. Euphoric last night. The
2: tickets are available. It's interesting. Are apparently new kind of seats they put out production seats they call them so and they're going at face value because they've just been put on the O2 website yeah they're
0: on the left and right hand side of the stage it's this this exactly massively right. restrictive view but you're still in the mix
2: well i went i was in section 113 and i was concerned because i showed you, you on did friday indeed, didn't yeah, i yeah, it yeah. was brilliant not only did you see her close up yeah. but you saw the backstage workings as well. Yeah, it, you know, it's look, amazing. You're there,
0: man. It doesn't yeah. matter, does yeah. it? Okay, if they're going at face value, then um, good luck, everybody, because I think everybody in this building is going to try and buy them yes, in the next course. few minutes or two. So so compared to other Madonna experiences you've had, I've been very fortunate. I've worked with her a couple of times. I've seen her many times. Mm. And I thought, I saw back in the day, as you did, you know, um, do I need to see her now? Probably not. Suddenly I'm questioning that. Well, you'll never see her like this again. Never, ever, ever. And also, I've never seen like that before because she was it was in situ, you know. She was three or four albums in. She didn't have the whole of her back catalogue to then craft into this show, this career-defining show. Yes, and the very fact, the other thing, Chris, is that
2: she said on stage she nearly passed away Mm. eight weeks ago. She
0: really nearly did.
2: She really nearly did. So to see her, there was such an air of suspense in the O2 on Saturday because people thought, how is she? What does she look like? Can she she still do? do it mm. and to be so humble and honest with the crowd i've never seen anything yeah, like it yeah
0: no exactly and the thing is what nearly did for her 8 weeks ago was this crazy um, affliction. But now she's completely better, but it really did nearly um, do for her. There's no question about that. How was Sunday... Forget the technical glitch. Yeah. Imagine that didn't happen. How was Sunday compared to Saturday? So
2: Sunday night show, I think, was better. It was together and... It was a lot more energetic, however, the crowd were a bit Sunday. It's <laughs> so interesting,
0: isn't it? We were a bit like, How kind can of... you be a bit Sunday at Madonna gig? What is I wrong was. with you?
2: <laughs> I wasn't. No,
0: well, some people aren't, but some people are. Yes. You know, I don't get that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. They still bought the tickets more than I did, and they went, I'm sure they had an amazing time. Yeah. Um,
2: When does she play next? So she plays on Tuesday and Wednesday. Right. Then she goes around Europe, and Uh then she comes here just before going to New York. So the dates in December are the fifth and the sixth of December. Right. And but if you want to go to New York City, this is great. There's some there's some uh, dates in uh, in Brooklyn. Oh, I see. And they're cheap, so you could go over to New York City and get quite a cheap ticket and do some you know do some Christmas shopping.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or not. Just just go and and for a walk in Central Park. (laughs) Just rev yourself up for the gig And write <laughs> yourself down again. That's so cool. Well done, mate. That was uh, brilliant. I, I'm so pleased you had a fantastic time. I wish you could get to see her. I wish you could get to see her. Uh, if people are listening from a record company or from a management company, or we can send this something. Can Steve go and see Madonna and talk to her? Oh wow! Oh. Wouldn't oh that be gosh. wonderful? Can't she? Give him a dream. her 80s playlist. <laughs> because now that Vassos has ramped up the, the ante, because mm. is it you this week?
2: It's not. It's a Julia Hartley Brewer this week.
0: Oh, so they're, they're saving you? Yeah. Well, maybe they're saving you for Prima Donna. Mm. Um we, we his,
2: his selection was so good we want to use all of your tracks. That's the reason why. So um okay. yeah. But uh,
0: But Madonna absolutely is good as it gets Absolutely.
2: Guess. So if you're thinking right now, I'd yeah. like to should I The answer is I yes I say hundred percent yes, yeah. you will not regret it. You will have the two hours of your life.
0: Wow. And she is a legend. She's she an really absolute is. legend. She's a legend, and she's she's at the peak of her powers where this particular back catalogue is concerned. Yeah. Because she's never done... The Stones have done their greatest hits taught time and time and time and time again. It depends, you know... How good they are depends what year you get them, uh, what mood they're in, what's happened in the band, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the first time Madonna's done this particular gig. Done this. And I
2: I think we've just got of that ilk. We've got Madonna, Elton John. It's interesting. Listen to Tilly talking about Taylor Swift. I went to the Taylor Swift thing on Friday. Mm. And for my niece, Hattie, who's 14, that's her. That's her Madonna. That's her Madonna.
0: Oh, isn't this wonderful? Thank
2: you so much for letting me chat about it,
0: Steve, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Sinead. Joy. Okay, enjoy your Madonna, people, if you're going to go and see it. And if you want to and you're not sure, well, then if that doesn't take away the A to get you to the B, I don't know what will. (laughs)
2: Love music? Love interviews with lovely musicians? Search Virgin Radio UK on YouTube to find brilliant album specials with some of the shiniest lights on our playlist, including George Ezra.
0: This is going to be something I'll remember. That's a really lovely thing. I don't think I was able to do that in the past. And James Bay. Don't you agree that everybody needs someone when they feel alone? Watch all that and more at
2: youtube.com slash UK. Our next guest is a spy-turned-podcast colossus. His knowledge project has been downloaded just the 0035 million times, and now he's distilled all that know-how into a new book. Clear Thinking is out now. And here at the top of the
3: tower, what about us? Well, we'll always have Shane Parrish!
0: Hey, Shane, how are you? Thanks for having me, I'm great. I've got to cling on to this interview because you are one of my heroes. All time. You are too kind. <laughs> it's all true, I promise. Um, let's let's have a positive history. Give us a minute on you as a spy.
3: Yeah, so I started working for a three letter agency about two weeks before September eleventh. I guess the UK equivalent would be GCHQ, and that took me through for about fifteen years.
0: And because of nine um, eleven, everything within that organization was expedited literally overnight, wasn't it? And you went from 12 or 15 people. Everybody's promoted. If you're in the building, you were basically promoted that day.
3: We, we didn't exist, right? So, like, when I went to work on August 28th, there's no sign outside the door. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was about September 18th. Now yeah. there's a sign outside the door. We have a budget. But we had existed since 1940s. Wow and all of a sudden we grew right we went from 200 and some people to i think there are over three thousand people today
0: and so um the reason we're here where we are now is because of farnham street and the knowledge project which is my one of my favorite podcasts on the planet and the way it came about is because uh, shane um is testament to the fact that that thinking isn't really thinking until until you say it out loud and then the quality of that thinking improves exponentially if you actually write it down and so shane you start to write your thoughts down into a blog for yourself and for nobody else but then one of the problems was his bosses started to read this really thoughtful blog but they didn't know it's from one of their employees and one day one of his bosses said come and read this what do you think about what do you think about this mysterious guy is that true
3: you've done your work yeah <laughs> and so i wasn't allowed a public profile If you Googled Shane Parrish, you would come up with uh, Dieter Berman, who was a soap opera star from Australia in the 1990s. I wasn't allowed LinkedIn. I wasn't allowed Facebook. I wasn't allowed anything. So the blog was totally anonymous, wasn't intended to be read by anybody else. And then all of a sudden people are coming to me with it saying, oh, you should read this. And I'm like... I wrote that, but I can't tell (laughs) them that because I'm not even allowed to have a blog.
0: And one of your bosses said it to you as well. Oh yeah,
3: it was crazy. And And then I was like, can I influence the organization through the blog? I know, it's
0: so funny. And Shane's reply to his boss was, I think he might be under something. (laughs) (laughs) What? How funny is that? And so, and the blog was about, was it about thinking about decision-making way back then even? Well, I was trying
3: to learn how to make practical decisions. How do people make decisions in the real world? They don't use sort of Excel spreadsheets. And why are some people better at making decisions than other people? Why are they consistently getting better results than other people And I was uh, in charge of some of the operations we were doing. And I wanted to make sure that I was making the best decisions we could, not only for my team, for my country, for our allies, for the troops in theater. And so it was reflections on what I was learning. And you talked about it a little bit there. A lot of thinking is making the invisible visible, right? We want to take these thoughts in our head. And we really want to reflect on them. And it's that reflection that gives us these compressions about what to do and what actions to take.
0: He's good, isn't he? He's so good. He's so considered as well. We're, we're, what we'll try and do during this next half an hour is, is it just excite you to dive into Shane Moore as he has, in fact, dove into other great thinkers more, which is one of the um, uh, uh, protocols, isn't it? Yeah. Harvest other people's great decisions of the past.
3: I master the best of what other people have already figured out. There's no original ideas in the book. I think if it was Montaigne who said, uh, I made a bouquet, but my only contribution was sort of the band that held the flowers together.
0: What is original though is your is the fact that you've harvested all these people because you're the only person to do that and your take on them. So there is originality in there, not necessarily the ideas, but the capturing of those ideas. A little bit, yeah, I suppose. And so, um, why are why do why do we mostly make bad decisions? Well, one reason we make bad decisions is we put ourselves in bad positions, and
3: so we don't actually get to think, and so circumstances think for us instead of us being able to think for ourselves. Another reason we make bad decisions is that we don't think. We just end up in these scenarios with our partner, with our spouse at work, where people trigger us. They say something, and then all of a sudden we respond. And when we respond, we're animals. And that's what we are, right? But the difference between humans and other animals is that we have the ability to reason before we respond. But we're no better than animals if we don't use that ability to reason before we respond. And there's predictable (laughs) sort of triggers that get in the way And and, and when when these things trigger you, you respond without reasoning. Like, So if somebody comes in and they slight you at a work meeting, you're going to get your back up and all of a sudden you're just going to respond. And then you start escalating. And the language I use with my kids around this is if I were to tap you on the shoulder and say, do you want to pour water or gas on this? You would instantly go, this isn't worth it. Water, no problem. But nobody's tapping you on the shoulder in that moment. And
0: so you just keep going. Yeah. And the reason this doesn't matter in the animal kingdom is because everybody re- reacts, all animals react. The problem in this, in this human sphere is that we might be in a situation where we react amongst other people who had taken the time to respond. So out of context, it looks like a terrible, terrible choice. But of course, a choice isn't a decision, because you also have that in the book, don't you? The book is Clear Thinking by Shane. We're talking to Shane now. Um, what is the difference between a choice a choice? And a decision.
3: Well, choices are sort of like these little intuitions in the moment that we have, whereas decisions are more considered. And if you think about it, if the cost of something, if the cost of being wrong is really low, you can make a quick choice. It doesn't really matter. But if the cost of being wrong is really high, then you want to make a decision. You want to be more considered about what you're doing.
0: And the thing about us, because we tend to take too long over decisions that aren't that important, and, and then we either shy away completely or just make a quick decision about something that's so big because the consequences are so awful. We just either get it over with, rip the plaster off, as they say. Um, the interesting bit for me about that scenario is the fact that we take longer over the less important decisions. Is that to make us feel better subconsciously about the fact we know we we, we're too scared of the bigger decisions, do you
3: think? Yeah, I think that's part of it, right? So one of the ideas in the book is ASAP or A LAP. You want to make the decision as soon as possible or as late as possible, but not in between because all these decisions sort of compound and they create the sediment that just keeps going and going. And then your brain has too much to handle, so you just start making rapid-fire decisions without really considering the decisions.
0: Yeah, I think so. when when you buy an old car, a classic car, you either buy one that is a barn find or you buy the ones completely restored you don't want to get caught in the middle because in the middle it's just it's all soft and it just doesn't work as a decision you know it's half somebody's paid for half it they've they've charged you for the other half they haven't caught Quite done and it's the same with i think it's called mediocrity isn't it
3: yeah (laughs) you know definitely it's all
0: right for management and maintenance but it's not great for movement
3: no it it keeps you in place
0: it does keep you in place tell us about another one of our favorite um tools from your particular toolbox and they, they are rules over decisions so if you put the right rules in place they get rid of a load of decisions
3: well let's think about this so i don't know about you i hate working out I don't (laughs) want to have to... You (laughs) look (laughs) great. That's very kind of you. But I was working out three days a week. Right. And I always found I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, this is a struggle. I've got a lot to do today. I didn't sleep well last night. I'm not going to work out today. And I would have this negotiation with myself. I will work out extra tomorrow. And these are the lies we tell ourselves because what am I doing? I'm relying on willpower to do the thing that I want to do. And I was talking with Daniel Kahneman one day in his apartment in New York and he was on the phone and he just said, my rule is I don't say yes on the phone. And then he hung up and I was like, oh, my God, hold on. What did you just say? <laughs> and he's like, "I, cr- you know, I'm under pressure. All these people are asking me for things. And I feel this social obligation yeah. to appease them and yeah. to say yes to them. And I was like this is fascinating, like keep going. And he's like, so I created a rule. And he's like, we've been taught to follow rules our whole life. So I don't think about following the rule. And other people have been taught to agree with rules without sort of like pushing back on them. So people don't really push back on the fact that I have a rule. And so he's like, I used to say yes, 90% of the time. Now I say yes, maybe 5% of the time, but I say it the next day. Yeah. And he's like, so I don't end up doing all these oh. things that I don't want to do. And what did he do? He replaced willpower. <sighs> With an automatic rule and so the book talks about these automatic rules long story short i went back uh i was like i'm gonna work it out every day i've worked out every day since
0: is doesn't it doesn't just hearing that make you feel less anxious about your future
2: yeah i mean you you give a lovely example about if you if you if you want to lose some weight and you decide that you're going to try and not have puddings but then you're getting social pressure and oh no come on it's a special occasion have a pudding but if you just have a i
0: don't eat puddings you don't eat pudding.
3: Well, <laughs> eventually everybody loses the battle with willpower. So if you can create rules so that you're not even thinking about it, you're not making a decision in the moment, you already know what to do. And we don't argue with rules. Friends don't argue with rules. And we just tend to follow them. Yeah,
0: I know. But also, if, if you say to your friends, you know, to do with the pudding or having a drink when you don't want to drink alcohol, that is, you know, if they sense it's your willpower against theirs, game on. But if they sense it's a rule, their willpower will just wilt. Exactly. Love it, don't you love it? Mm. Uh, Daniel Kahneman there, you touched on Daniel Kahneman. Um, I was going to have this fun with you about, um, say, say we get to the semi-finals of great thinkers who you love, right? The semi-finals, and we have Daniel Kahneman in one corner, and we have, um, uh, let's go for Jim Collins in the other corner. Who wins that fight?
3: Oh, they both win.
0: <laughs> no, because no, 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 we have a final. By the way, you haven't heard the other bout yet. <laughs>
3: Uh, I would say Daniel Kahneman.
0: Okay, Daniel Kahneman. And in the other semi-final bout, we have um, uh, Charlie Munger, yeah, up against um, Ray Dalio.
3: Oh, Munger.
0: Right. Okay. That one was. By easy. the way, I seeded it, so you got. So I got the final that I wanted, right? Yeah. So it's Munger against Conneman. Oh, Munger really over Kahneman and yeah. say, I would have had it the other way around. Yeah. So just t- give every- just tell everybody a little bit about Daniel Kahneman and a bit about Charlie Munger. And if you get into Shane, you'll get into both of those a lot more anyway.
3: So, so Daniel Kahneman spent most of his life uh, studying cognitive biases with Amos Tversky and cognitive biases are great at explaining why we make mistakes, why we have blind spots in decision-making. They're really bad at sort of preventing us from making those mistakes in the future. And Charlie Munger is the partner of Warren Buffett, um, sort of created Berkshire Hathaway with him over the last 60 years or so, and has put a lot of these principles into action in a way that prevents you from making a bad decision in the first place. And I think what Munger realized, which is one of the lessons in the book is that the position you're in at the moment you make a decision determines whether you're playing on easy mode or hard mode. And so often we put ourselves in a position where we're playing on hard mode because we think of the decision at the moment of the decision. We don't think about what position are we in? How could we have made our position stronger before we had to make this decision? So everybody looks like a genius when you're in a good position because all your options are good and everybody looks like an idiot, including the brightest people in the world when you're in a bad position because all your options are bad.
0: Yeah, I've got a friend who's really successful. He's always in the rich list here in the UK. He's a self-made billionaire of of many, not many, 11 billion. He's worth 11 billion, last count. And whenever people try and sell him something and I've been, I've had my Daniel Conor moment with him in his office and I've heard him on the phone. And when people are trying to sell him something, companies, cars, houses, hotels, cities, sometimes he says, yeah, thanks so much. To be honest, I'm not desperate to buy anything like that at the moment. Full stop, right? not I'm not desperate to buy what you want to sell me. Okay. Next phone call. Somebody's trying to buy something from him. He says, yeah, okay. No, thanks so much for the interest. Thanks for reaching out. To be honest, I'm not desperate to sell that at the moment. He's never under pressure yeah. in that particular aspect of his life, other aspects massively. So therefore, he's just going to make better decisions anyway. And also, the the person who try, who's trying to negotiate with him sort of has nowhere to go. Do yeah. you know what I mean?
3: You're always operating from a position oh. of strength. And... It's really hard to make bad decisions when you're never forced by circumstances into making bad decisions. <laughs> yeah. And But we don't think about this. And, and I sort of clued into this with my my one of my children who brought home this test. And he's like, you know, he got this really bad grade. He's like, I did my best. And I was like, oh, God, like, let's talk about this. What does it mean to do your best? And he's like, well, I sat down at 10. I read all the questions. I got the points. I focused my attention on the questions worth the most points. And I was like, hold on, rewind. What position were you in at 10 o'clock before you even looked at the test? Did you study in the three days before? No. Did you fight with your brother? Yes. Did you sleep well? No. Did you eat a bad breakfast? Yes. I was like, you put yourself in a bad position. You chose to play on hard mode. And so often we're choosing to play on hard mode. We're not doing it intentionally, but unintentionally, this is what happens.
0: Yeah. And what's really interesting about that is that if people are heading towards a big decision in inverted commas in their life they will just flick that to hard mode anyway because it's supposed to be hard the narrative around it it's hard it's really big it's really important it could be life-changing one way or another and actually it might not be at all but we just even when we're not putting ourselves unconsciously into hard mode sometimes we consciously and needlessly put ourselves into hard mode
3: 100 percent
0: um, let's talk about that. That's one of those conversations with Daniel Kahneman within which you said to him, because I heard you say, I heard you having the conversation with him. He responded, Well, they don't give lessons on clear thinking. The title of your book is clear thinking. He said that in that conversation. Did you write it down and thought, I have to write that book? No,
3: that didn't come to mind at that point in time. It's sort of when you think about thinking and decision making, there's no class in uni about here's all the things you need to learn to make decisions. Here's all the things you need to learn to sort of put these things together and think better about situations. And I just thought clear thinking was such a perfect title for two words that sort of encapsulated that. And then the subtitle is turning ordinary moments into extraordinary results because we're taught how to think about, we think directionally right about who to marry and where to work and where to live and all these things because we know we're making a decision. But so often it's these little moments we're not thinking about that dictate the position that we find ourselves in at the moment we make a decision.
0: It's also simple when you slow down and Shane talks to you about it all. The book is split into two. Um, just just to explain the two halves of the book for us, if you don't mind.
3: Well, so it's sort of building strength, managing weaknesses, uh, and rules, right? About how do we create safeguards? And there's tons of practical examples about safeguards that we can use, including splitting a decision. What is the problem from how do we solve it? And making those two separate meetings instead of one. And automatic rules. How can we use rules so that we're not relying on our willpower? Everybody talks about, oh, you know, your emotions will get the best of you and they want you to recognize when you're angry. And I don't know about you, but that works like 20% of the time in reality. it's like
0: not really. (laughs) Right. And so
3: you can't rely on the fact that you're going to recognize that you're angry. You have to rely on rules and come up with situations where you're not thinking and you're just sort of circumventing yourself because we we want to eliminate these defaults that we have and we sort of talk about ego and emotion and social and inertia but you can't really eliminate them you can manage them and when you switch the conversation from how do I remove them to how do I manage them it becomes a lot more powerful
0: we just had a couple of um, huge political conferences here in the UK we had Labour last week we had the Tories the week before and um, one of the criticisms of both sides was they were coming up with solutions to problems that didn't exist, but made great headlines or hopefully great headlines. And you do say it's, it's very important as you just touched upon that. It's one I'd want to dive into a bit more. It's very important to have the first meeting about what is the problem yeah. before we waste time coming up with a solution. And you've run experiments and you've witnessed experiments where people get into a room and d- and uh, c- can't agree on what the problem is, let alone what the solution is. What is- Tell us about that, if you don't mind.
3: Yeah, so what tends to happen in organizations, I'll come back to politics in a second, is people get into a room, uh, somebody says something plausible, and then all the smart type A people just jump on it and they're like, here's how to solve the problem. But nobody's ever really considered, is this the problem? Yeah. <laughs> so really, the person who makes the decision has to be responsible for defining the problem. Yeah. And this is an idea I got from Randall Stuttman way back in the day and Adam Robinson as well. And I think it's a very powerful idea. And then coming back to politics, you also have a mismatch between timelines, between people and incentives about what's going on. We also have that with companies and organizations where, you know, you have a public company CEO or a politician and they have a certain defined length of time in that job to prove themselves being capable and competent. Uh, But you as a citizen, it's like you have the next 50 to 100 years in mind and they, as an elected official, have the next four years in mind. And those things can also create a mismatch where you're solving problems that don't exist or you're creating problems in a way to solve them because you want votes, right? Yeah.
0: And you know you're going to be out and you need to get your bonuses. It's the same. Honestly, it's the same with um, when you work at a radio station. It's the same with... The the production floor and the sales floor, often, if things are going well in production, then it's okay. But if things aren't going well in production, sales need to hit their targets, which could be counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve on the radio, not dissimilar. Yeah, 100%. It's about temporary situations that, I mean, they always say, don't they, if you think long-term, it's probably better for you generally.
3: So so my belief is that if you think long-term, you eliminate a lot of bad behavior. Yeah. have a issue with a colleague at work and I lash out at them. Well, that's very different than how I think about going home to my partner or my spouse and having the exact same conversation. Because when I go home to my partner or spouse, I'm like, I'm going to be in this relationship for a long time. So I'm going to have the same difficult conversation, but now I'm going to approach it with caring and our relationship matters. Because if you think about this, like what, All relationships boil down to four permutations. There's win-win, win-lose, lose-lose, lose-win. But only one of those relationships, which is win-win, is sustainable over time. And if you want to take a long-term approach to things, it has to be a win-win relationship. That doesn't mean don't have hard conversations with people, but it means how you approach them makes all the difference.
0: Yeah, and you have them within that mindset of longevity. Um, you talk about somebody that if you can't, if you can't imagine yourself working with somebody for 30 years, why would you work with them for three months? Unless you had to
3: 100%. If it's a choice, why would you do that? You eventually become like the people that you hang around your environment dictates your behavior. Part of your environment is what you read, what you consume. Listening to this is part of that consumption. High quality inputs mean high quality outputs. But if we don't filter who we hang around, what we let into our brain, all of those things become our future thoughts. And so if you work for somebody who's in, um, I was going to swear there. I'm not allowed to swear. <laughs> Caught myself.
0: Prefer it if you didn't. Yeah.
3: So if you work for somebody who's not very nice or not very kind to other people, eventually you will adapt that behavior, not consciously. And you think that you won't because you're relying yeah. on, you know, Yourself, and I'm not that type of person. But if you're surrounded with those type of people constantly, you eventually slowly progress towards totally, what you don't it's want. in the frog, isn't it? Yeah,
0: um, and it's less noticeable because you're around the environment, and it's more forgivable uh, because you're around that environment, etc., etc., etc. You say here, this is a great phrase. Oh, you know, hindsight, 2020 vision general hindsight never won a war but listen to this everyone listen to this from shane's book clear thinking shane parish founder of farnham street turning ordinary moments into extraordinary results luckily there is a way to convert the hindsight of tomorrow into the foresight of today that's magic
3: yeah that's what you want to do right you want to convert hindsight of tomorrow into your foresight today. So you're not making mistakes that you can anticipate. Can you give us a couple
0: of rules to do with that?
3: Well, a great example of this is sort of, uh, we're in London, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? So what did he want? He wanted to become the richest, most well-known person in the community. And what did he get? He got all of those things. But what did he want at the end of his life? He wanted a do-over because the way that he went about approaching those things was mutually exclusive from living a life of meaning. So can we use that can we use that hindsight, his hindsight, to be our foresight and then approach our life differently? Yeah. And sort of there's all of these different things that you can use to do that. There's one of the references in the book is Carl Pilmer wrote a book, Lessons for the Living. He interviewed people close to death and he's like, what do you regret? What should we know about living? Well, why can't we take that? people People who are at the end of the maze and they're going to give us the directions to get to the right place. Well, that sounds like a really good shortcut to me. Yeah.
0: So Memento Mori, we can talk about Seneca two and a half thousand years ago. Or you can talk about Steve Jobs 25 years ago. They had a very similar take on 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 um, meditating on perhaps today being our last day. And if today was your last day and you knew, would you change what you're doing specifically? If the answer was yes, then maybe you should change it anyway.
3: That's true. Uh, I mean, it doesn't mean go out and spend all your savings or anything like that. But it does mean like if you're waking up on Mondays and you're not happy to go to work... You know, Often we get stuck in this situation where it's too good to to stay, uh, too good to leave, and too bad to stay, and then inertia takes over, so we end up in relationships, we end up in jobs, and we're not there because we want to be there. We're not there because it's serving us. We're there because we're scared to leave. We're there befo- because we're scared to confront our own thoughts about it and what it means about us, and I think that you really need to think consciously about that stuff, and these are examples of things where we just don't tend to think and the situation thinks for us
0: so for things to have to change um, you have to change things so that's about jobs direction they're big things they're scary things and especially if you're really stuck how do we nudge the beginning of change why do we have such issues with even small change
3: Well, one way to nudge the beginning of change is just to write things out. You have all these invisible thoughts in your head, and you can make them visible. And when you make them visible, they become a lot more real and tangible. And then you can start seeing what's going on in your brain in a way that you can't process when you're just thinking. So often we have these short attention spans and fragments, and we get distracted. like We're like a squirrel. You know, we run around, we're like, oh, there's something, chase after it. And that's how our mind works. So forcing yourself to write out a page, nobody has to read it. You can burn this thing after, it doesn't matter. But writing out your thoughts is sort of the first step to like... And it shuts the chimp up. How do I understand where I'm at? Because if I don't understand where I'm at and where I want to go, then what am I doing
0: here? It stops the repetitive loop as well, because the chimp inside our head is like... The friend who wants you to, to know something about somebody, somebody but never wants them to know that it was the chimp that told you. And so if you say something out loud to a friend, you know, or a colleague... The chimp, the chimp. you can hear the chimp screaming inside. No, no, don't, no, don't tell them. Don't tell them because then I can't keep repeating it to you and, and terrify you with it. I can't terrorize you with it. But if you write it down or say it out loud, that's what happens.
3: Yeah, we all have this song on loop in our head, yeah. right? And the most powerful story in the world is the one we're telling ourselves. Yeah. So you have to listen. What is that song that I'm replaying in my head? Yeah. And am I going to the right place? Check your destination, right? <laughs> um, it's one thing to get what you want. It's another thing to want what's worth getting.
0: Yeah. I love it. So Daniel Kahneman talks about A to B. He said, not a destination, not a journey, but a behavior. So if our behavior is A and we would like to change our behavior to B, he said, that's that's the question. But the most useful way of framing it is if we want to behave in a B way of life mindset, why aren't we doing that anyway if it's preferable? So what is stopping us? So it's not about pushing yourself or somebody else to change. It's about unhinging or releasing yourself from where you are. And then maybe you'll end up where you want to be anyhow.
3: Totally. I, th- I think we can come up with, we talked about environment dictating behavior. Well, we can create artificial environments that do change our behavior. A, a rule is an example of an artificial environment. What you input into your head is another example of like what's coming into my environment, whom I hang around. What you're really trying to do is turn your desired behavior into your default
0: behavior yeah so on, on saturday i have a 14 year old son now he's brilliant he's a great kid um however i said what are you doing this weekend he said um i haven't made plans yet i said no it's the weekend plans for the weekend are before the weekend otherwise you know fail to plan plans to fail plans fail plan. and um he said oh well uh, he said well i'll make plans Okay, so my nudge to him, as opposed to pushing him, my nudge to him was to make the present moment, which he was finding at the moment, so comfortable, taking his time with breakfast, getting up late, to make it so uncomfortable he would want to get out of it. So I said, no, it's very simple. Either you make plans for the weekend, or in the next half an hour, I will give you some jobs for the weekend. He immediately made plans for the weekend. No problems whatsoever. Is that, is that my B2A, is that is that right?
3: That, that That's a forcing function, right? right? You're making it hard for him to just sit there and do nothing yeah. because he knows that result is gonna be bad. <laughs> is that okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to do it. Um you But think to... about the position he was in going back to something we talked about earlier. yeah So he put himself in a position where he woke up on Saturday morning and didn't have plans, yeah. which is sort of playing on hard mode in a way, right? Because yeah. now he knows his his father's going to come in and start dictating, "Oh, yeah. well here, you know, Hanging all these, these pictures, chores need to be done." in the uh, garage. Yes, you exactly. Know.
0: Um and he had he had a great weekend as a consequence. So I got that one, right? We get a lot of th- things wrong. Um talking about ceos uh and their sort of temporary um reigns as it were uh that's why the best ceos are founder ceos because they have the perfect combination of both uh you jeff bezos is um you elon musk i know you're a big fan of elon i well i knew you're a big fan of elon pre x or twitter are you still a fan post x and twitter
3: I'm a fan of the best version of Elon, which is the version that inspires us to take on challenges that haven't been done before. I'm a fan of free speech, so I'm a fan of somebody trying to do something about that.
0: No, I am I am a fan also. Um, other people that you look to, I mean, the the quote, the Einstein quote, I've never heard before. And you don't say it is Einstein. You say you think it might be Einstein about counting. Um Can you remember that quote?
3: Oh, not everything that counts can be counted. Not everything that. Is that the one?
0: Yeah, that's the one. Say that again.
3: Not everything that counts can be counted. And not everything, and not everything, everything that can be counted can, counts. Yeah, not everything that can be counted counts.
0: From, from that's why he's the best, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Because he's a founder CEO of science in a way. Pretty much, right? And founders, if you think about it, they're just in a position where they can't really get usurped, right? Yeah. So Warren Buffett had control of 40% of Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Most of the founder CEOs have so much control over the companies that outside influences play less of a role. They're never forced by circumstance yeah. into a bad decision.
0: So what's our, what's our version of that on a day-to-day basis? Can we put ourselves into that position? Do you yeah, think?
3: you can start thinking about that in terms of what it means to your life. And some of that is the basic things, right? Sleeping, eating. Yeah. Uh, investing, investing in your relationship with your partner or spouse. And what does investing mean? Well, it means checking in connecting so that when the inevitable fires come and they will come, you're in a better position to weather that storm, a better position to handle it. If you imagine there's a patch of grass between you and everybody in your life, if you water that grass. A tiny little spark is not going to set it on fire. But if you don't water that grass, even the tiniest spark is going to create like this raging fire yeah. between you.
0: There's a lot to be said, isn't there? I mean, you could actually, if you wanted to, you could have a a flamethrower or a Bunsen burner. I don't even get flamethrowers. You probably can get flamethrowers on Amazon on one side of your bed every morning and you could have a bucket of cold water on the other side, couldn't you? Just to remind yourself or, or maybe have the, 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 the Bunsen burner further away in the corner and just have the, ne- the bucket of water next to you every day to remind you of that de-escalation as opposed to escalation.
3: So the water or gas thing right. works so well with kids, but yeah. I, I use it with adults as well. But with my kids, it's like, I'm not judging you and I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just look at them now and I'm like, water or gas? Yeah, I love it. And sometimes they gas. actually sometimes they actually choose gas but that's okay that's a different you know they're like they're brothers they're like 14 months apart sometimes you
0: do need a bit of fire in your belly exactly but But nowhere near as much as we try and make out
3: and most times they're like yeah i really don't want to do that because that's not going to
0: get me what i want yeah it's a nightmare it's going to waste so much of your life a couple of quickies we're nearly out of time it's been over half an hour already I hope it's flown by um when is good enough ever good enough As a decision?
3: I think pleased, but not satisfied.
0: Come and tell us more about Good Enough. Well,
3: you know, like, you don't want to be complacent. We don't want to get into complacency. As an individual, complacency might work. As a society, complacency doesn't work. Right. So for us, it might make us happy and useful. And we need to find a way to get out of complacency and be happy. And I think that that... That's the approach there.
0: So presumably, because you've written Clear Thinking and because you have Farnham Street and The Knowledge Project and you were a spy and you're still, you've still signed the Canadian Official Secrets Act, presumably you never make any bad decisions anymore, Shane Parrish, do you? <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs> um, how is it for you? Because you, I mean, nobody's bulletproof to making bad decisions, but it must be quite rare for you now.
3: I think, you know, I never wanted to be held up as somebody who makes perfect decisions all the time. Right. And one of my worries with the book and the title of the book was that I would be held up as this unattainable standard. It's not about perfection. It's just about being better. And being better is your own version. I'm comparing myself to who I was yesterday yesterday. And I'm trying to get to where I could be. I'm trying to maximize my potential and sort of become the best version of myself. And this is my journey and where I'm at on that road.
0: Right, now this hasn't been a long form podcast, but hopefully we've packed a load in. You're happy?
3: This has been great.
0: Great, good, cool. Um, a couple of takeaways for people listening now. Just give give them your best minute.
3: Well, I think what you want to do is think of the position that you're in at the moment you make a decision. And so how do I put myself in a better position tomorrow? What can I do today to do that? The second thing that I think was really useful from what we we drew out today was what automatic rules can I create for myself in moments where I'm using willpower and I'm not being consistent with the best version of myself? How do I turn my desired behavior into my default behavior by creating rules around that? And I think the third thing is, if you can do those first two, well, now I can start to think independently. How do I create positive deviation or advantageous divergence from the crowd? How can I diverge? Where do I want to diverge? And what does that look like? Because if I do what everybody else is doing, I'm going to get the same results that everybody else gets.
0: Yeah. And um, the second biggest problem most people have is not getting what they want because the first one is they don't know what they want. And uh, our friend Daniel Kahneman would say to people, do you want to be happy or do you want to be satisfied? And everybody replies that they want to be happy, but they spend most of their time trying to be satisfied.
3: A hundred percent.
0: So we've got to flip that. Yeah. Okay. Um, my favorite quote in the book. We'll finish with this. If you don't know where you want to go, any road will take you there.
3: You got to be conscious about where you're going. What destination are you reaching? And one of the ideas in the book is we offer a thought experiment at the end. Imagine you're sort of 90, you're, you're lying in the hospital and you're unconscious And you can hear everybody, but they don't know that you can hear them. What are they saying about you? And what do you want them to be saying about you? And are you living your life in a way that is going to cause them to say those things? It's not going to matter how many Twitter followers you have. It's not going to matter (laughs) how much money you have in your bank. All of these superficial things drop away. And what really matters is the relationship with the people you love.
0: The relationship with the people you love. If you don't know where you want to go, any road will take you there. That's, it's so important to have a destination and a goal. You don't have to score the goal, you don't have to reach the reach the destination, but it gives you a route map, doesn't it? That's the thing. It's it's not dissimilar to you know if you um, don't stand for anything, you'll end up standing for nothing. If you don't, if you're not willing to die for anything, you'll end up dying for nothing. If you don't have your own agenda by lunchtime, you'll be living by somebody else's by tea time.
3: And it doesn't mean that you set your destination once. And you forget about it. Like what you want as your destination at 20 is not the same as what you want at 30, 40, 50. And so it's a matter of being conscious about these things and thinking about them.
0: And there's the fun. There's fun in that as opposed to stress and anxiety. That's the fun part. Once you decide where you're going on holiday, then it's like, you know or, and you book the hotel and everything else then all the fun stuff is left all the f- shall we go to the beach or should we go to the market should we have yeah. a dip in the sea before lunch or after lunch all that kind of stuff apparently shane takes on two private clients a year only two um is that still the case
3: that is still the case
0: how do you get how do we get to, what's the queue like for that what's the waiting list like how do you decide who the two are
3: uh, it's feel which is interesting. It's intuition. Am I interested in the problem? Am I interested in the person? Because we're going to spend a lot of time together, and we're going to start dissecting things. And so, what does that look like? And do I feel like we have a good rapport? And yeah, I think that that's it. I mean, I want to do Two it because yeah, I, I find it. I find it interesting. <laughs> Uh, other people find it interesting the problem is people keep coming back to me after they do. and we do a one-year term right so it's like we're doing this for a year and then we're done and then now all of a sudden i've actually had like a couple of inbounds this year from people that i've had before and they're like i have another problem i got a big merger i want you to like talk me through this and uh let's work together so you again back
0: in because they're repeat offenders
3: well i'm sort of like oh I'm, I'm i've got my you know i've got one spot open this year and now there's like five people sort of yeah. competing for this and uh, the temptation is to break my rule right yep. which is like instead of two take on five or six but if i do that it's not fair on the two it's not fair on the two and if i do that it's not um i'm not going to be happy right yeah. like i will be in the moment you'll
0: be a rubbish advisor but
3: by the end of, <laughs> well and by the end of the year i'll be sort of like oh this took up more time than i was yeah. i was wanting to give you this. resentful particular of it thing.
0: and then the energy will be wrong blah blah, blah. Yeah. we're way over time i'm sorry everybody it's been a great monday thank you shane parrish you're awesome.
3: Thank you very much.
0: You are v- And Shane came over on the back of this interview to do other things, but primarily for this. So well oh. done, Shane Parish. Thank you very much, Sinead. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed Madonna Yay. last night. Maybe you'll go again tomorrow night. Hopefully. Thank you very much, Vassos. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>